Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chuck, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chuck for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Could you order the death of 500,000 people, innocent people, in your own country? Men, women, children, you order their deaths. Could you do it? You should. Hang on, I'll explain. A long, long time ago, early 1900s, China was in a bit of a, well, upheaval would be putting it nicely. Remember, this was a time really on the planet. I mean, we're talking, you know, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand era where monarchies were going away. The old established ways of business were going away. And China, even though they were far separated from Europe, they were going through this too. I think it was 1911, their last emperor, gone. And they became a republic, only not really. We like to view everything from the lens of how things are now. It's human nature. I do it too. Oh, it's China. Uh, Was it really China? China was a bunch of different factions. Even though they were technically a republic once they got rid of the last emperor, They were really run by warlords, and they flat out called them warlords. Now, again, we view everything from today's point of view. So when I say warlord, what do you picture? What's every warlord you've ever heard of? He's some dude in Africa in the back of a pickup truck on a 50 cow stealing rice from the peasants. It wasn't necessarily that. Some of these warlords were actually really great leaders, very benevolent, benevolent, treated the people well. Some were terrible, some were good, and they went through a long period of time, 10, 15 years, of trying to kill each other to seize power. A vacuum of of leadership doesn't last long. It's filled up pretty quickly. And finally, China is, I'm going to say taken over, but you need to understand that's being that's using that term really loosely. It was taken over by a man named Chiang Kai-shek. I'm just going to call him Chang because one, I don't like to barrage you with names. That's why I never do it. You may be one of these detail freaks who wants them all. Look, I only touch on these things. You're welcome to dig into them and they're fascinating stories. But I don't barrage you with names cuz I tend to lose them when people do that to me. I lose track of who's who. Uh, Well, you have to understand, Chiang Kai-shek and Seem Hao-yo, well, he was working for Dang Sing-yum, and and, and I'm already gone. I'm already lost. I don't know who, who, what, who was working for. So for future purposes, just know the leader of China, leader in air fingers quotes, is Chiang Kai-shek. I'm going to call him Chiang. He is... By all accounts, a very capable leader. There's a real nationalist Chinese 
feeling at this point in time where they know they're divided up as a country and China isn't really a unified place at all, but they kind of like to be. For the most part, they're speaking the same language. They're all speaking Mandarin. You know, it's, it's we're, we're kind of a country here, right? We used to be a country, kind of, kind of a country. It's mostly farmers, but they're starting to industrialize, starting to get their act together. But this is certainly not a high point in Chinese history. And let's take a, just a brief step back, understand that much as we hate them today, and rightfully so, Chinese history is extensive. It's one of those things, virtually any period in history where you're studying something else or reading about something else, whatever it may be. You know, the Achaemenid Persian Empire, oh, they were huge. Yeah, China was big then. Oh, what about the what about the Spartans? China was big then. What about Rome? What about ancient Rome? China was big then. What about ancient Egypt? Oh, yeah, China was big then. China was always big. It just China was so insular and thought of as being so far away, you don't think about it. But China has more history than any country on earth. It's due. And that's where China was at this time. Now, let's talk about where Japan was. You see, Japan... They were coming out of a samurai era in the 1800s. And when I say coming out of a samurai era, you may be like, Jesse, you're so stupid. It's the 1800s. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. They were still coming out of the samurai era. You want to talk about behind the times? People talk endlessly about showing up in Japan on, you know, a, a trade mission or a diplomatic mission. And they're looking around like, this is, this is like traveling back in time. These people are backwards. Japan, just then, as in now, kind of very rigid in their old ways. So Japan realized um, this is not going to work. And they did some massive move called the Meiji Restoration. I'm not going to go into all that because it gets kind of boring. Just know that Japan woke up one day, really kind of impressive, and looked around and said, uh, we're backwards. And we have decided that we're no longer going to be backwards. And they did it. (laughs) All of a sudden, we're in the late 1800s, and Japan has a fierce modern army. Japan has industrialized big time. Japan goes to war with Russia and beats the crap out of them. The Russo-Japanese War. And the whole world looks around like, uh, what? What just happened? These guys are Asian. They can't do that. And when I say that, you know, sounding like everyone was racist, that's because everyone was racist. They, they just were. And I'm not, I'm not doing that thing where, oh, the poor Japanese, because the Japanese were as racist or more than everyone else against the Chinese, against white people. Russia looked down on Asians. China looked down on Japan. Japan looked down on China. This was a time in history, well, for most of history, it was this way, where people were very, very open about their racism. It's not like these days where that little bit of hidden prejudice you have for this person or that person, you can't voice it or you'll have your whole career wiped out instantly. This this was an era where you could openly write books about it. Winston Churchill, they still trash the guy. He'd just write books about, well, these people are clearly inferior. <laughs> like, wait, what? You can't, you can't say that. You could in that era. 
So Japan beating an army of white people was a bit of a shock back then. And Japan has an issue. Here we are. We're modern. We're industrialized. We got this pretty kick-butt army. We need resources, man. We have nothing. And Japan, I mean, I realize it's just an island, but it's an island without a lot to it. It's got some beautiful country, but there's just not a lot of natural resources. There's no oil, and this is the oil era. There's no not. They need resources. They need rubber. And they're looking over at China, and they're thinking, well, I mean, it's not really a country. And understand this, it really wasn't really a country. China was broken up into a bunch of different things, just getting its act together. Then Japan looks around and says, well, I mean, everyone else has colonies, and everyone else is just moving on up in the world. I think I'm going to head on into China. Stretch my legs a little bit. And they did. And if I'm making that sound like kind of a, well, we're just going to show up and walk in, that's kind of what they did. The northern part of China wasn't really under anyone's control, and Japan said, I I think this is ours now. I think we're just going to take it. And when you have an up-and-coming nationalist Chinese movement... In a, Jap- in a Japan on the up, that's going to cause some tension, isn't it? Oh, tension's coming. Hang on. Seventh, 1937. That's the answer to the question you're looking for. If any, well, if someone ever asks you what day did World War II actually start, you give them that date and they'll tell you you're an idiot. No, it didn't. Hitler invaded Poland. Oh, no. It started on, oh, sorry, not June, July 7th, 1937. I misspoke. You see, what happened was Again, Japan just kind of moved into northern China, and they didn't necessarily take it over, but they kind of took it over. We're talking 10, 15,000 troops. Japan has their act together big time as a nation right now. They've modernized. They have an emperor, but they also have a prime minister. People have elections. It's this, this country's getting its act together. Kind of. They're getting their act together, but they're also a bit stuck in the old ways. We'll get to that in a second. So July 7th, 1937, again, that's when World War II actually began. Japan is on one side of Marco Polo Bridge. Yes, that Marco Polo. No, he was not just a game you played in the pool as a kid. China's on the other side of the bridge. There are lots of tensions leading up to this that you can read up on. I'm skipping over a lot of things. These guys are not getting along. China wants them out. Does not 
have the ability to move them out. China's not near militarily what Japan is. Japan wants to stay. I'll tell you, America and the international community wants Japan out. They're looking over there. Remember, we're this is post-World War I. We want to really try to avoid things like that again. And we're all looking at Japan like, bro, you can't just move in. Go, go back home. And Japan says, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think we will. Actually, I'm really comfortable right here. In fact, this is kind of ours now. And July 7th, 1937, a Japanese soldier on the Japanese side of Marco Polo Bridge gets up to go take a crap. Not making that up. He's gone for a while. Apparently, the man likes to hunker down. Japan knocks on the Chinese door and says, we're missing a dude. You need to let us come into your town and search it. China says, no, no. You're, you're not doing that. And then it was on. By the way, the guy returned, obviously, as soon as he was done using the restroom. But by then, let's be honest, they all wanted it. Japan wanted this war to happen. And then it was on. And if you're China, now you're in trouble. Now you're in deep trouble. Because you cannot stop this army. Now, luckily for you, Japan doesn't have the resources, and China is huge. And, again, remember how I told you China was extremely divided and kind of broken up and really, really rural at this time? That ended up being majorly to their benefit. I'll get to that in a second. You're Japan. You start kicking the crap out of any Chinese army you find. And finally, you find your way to Shanghai. Shanghai was, as it is now, a bustling international city. And when I say international, that part is about to matter a lot. Because 120,000 Japanese soldiers go marching into Shanghai to face down 200,000 Chinese soldiers to defend Shanghai. And if that sounds like an advantage for China... That's because you do not understand how poorly equipped and led the Chinese army was. Japan, very much the opposite. Disciplined, equipped, China could not possibly win this and did not win this. And here's the issue. Remember when I said it was an international city? There were 60,000 people from all over the world that were not Chinese in Shanghai, and these were not just poor college kids backpacking their way through China doing some sightseeing. These were people with reputations. These were missionaries. These were journalists, journalists with cameras, journalists with the ability and willingness to write things down and cable those things all over the planet. So when Japan invades a foreign city like Shanghai and begins to bayonet people in the middle of the road, well, the world found out about it. And in Japan's mind, well, we're just we're just doing war. What are you talking about? The world had changed and Japan had not. Now, Japan won the Battle of Shanghai. 
And they weren't done yet because the capital of China at this time, remember the Chinese leader Chang? Well, the capital was set up in a place called Nanking or Nanjing. They call it both things. Don't ask me why it has two different names. I'm going to call it Nanking. And the Chinese troops that are fleeing Shanghai, they're kind of fighting the Japanese as the Japanese take off for Nanking. And the, the Japanese get to Nanking. And they take Nanking. And this is not about Nanking. I'm not going to go into that right now for a lot of different reasons. One, because that's about three shows. And two, the things the Japanese did to the Chinese in Nanking were so horrific. You know all the gross stuff I tell you on this show? All the, all the various horrible... I mean, I told you about a forest of impaled people, and I told you how they did it, didn't I? Let me, let me just say that before I tell you this. I would not give you the details on the air about what the Japanese did to the Chinese people in Nanking. It's that bad. And you know how normally I tell you, oh, just Google it. You can check that out. You can see this dead dude. He's laying there. Do not Google Nanking, uh, especially if you have a weak stomach, especially if you're on a work computer, especially if you've just eaten or are about to eat. And I am not joking. It's that bad. That bad. It's so bad, there was a Nazi, a card-carrying Nazi named John Raby in Nanking who spent the entire time when the Japanese were there approaching the Japanese saying, whoa, these are war crimes, uh, fellas, there are rules here. A Nazi was approaching the Japanese saying, guys, that's a little too far, isn't it? That should tell you what happened there. So back to the beginning of the show. You remember that dike I told you about? You see, there's a dike holding back the Yellow River. And you're Chiang Kai-shek. You are the leader of China. Japan has been kicking your rear end all over the country. They own all the urban areas. And you have to stop this Japanese horde from completely taking over your nation. And to do so... You have to ruin this dike. And that dike is there for a reason. And if you ruin that dike, 500,000 Chinese people are about to drown. Anywhere between 3 and 10 million people are about to have their lives destroyed, the ones who don't drown. So back to my question in the beginning. Could you do it? I asked you in the beginning if you could kill 500,000 people, innocent people of your own countrymen. You shook your head. I'm asking you again, could you do it? Because let's be honest. You have to do it. That's called leadership. The Jesse Kelly Show.
Could you bulldoze that dike and kill 500,000 of your own countrymen? Well, you can if you don't want to be the new Japan. There's this way of thinking. It's a very 2020, and I do not mean that as a compliment, a very 2020 way of thinking. Where if it saves one life, we have to... What are you talking about? The human condition, the human experience for all of us, for you, me, the Pope, the President, the rich, the poor. The human experience is you are born and you are going to die. And the human experience, to some extent, all of us, we are cogs in the wheel, brother. And leadership, especially leading armies, leading nations, at any point, Wartime or peacetime means you do trade lives. There's that great Captain America line from one of the Avengers movies. We don't trade lives. That sounds nice in the movies. Yes, you do. You do that all the time. That's part of your job. Do you understand what we've done in a two-month period? You understand how many restaurants we've shut alone? I'm just one, that's just one industry. And they've been able to remain partially open if they want to do to-go orders. We've not only shut them, at least, they're estimating this, and I say it's probably more, at least 20% of the restaurants are never coming back. Never coming back. We have wiped out wealth generationally. I just read a story. Someone sent it to me yesterday. You can email me anytime you want. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I got a couple of your conspiracy theories. I'll get to those, by the way. Those are sweet. But I got one yesterday, and I'll tell you, man, it was... It was tough to read. It was one of those stories... One of those rags-to-riches stories you've heard a million times, but it was real. It was some dude just pouring his heart out, and it was his story. Rough upbringing, blue-collar, comes up working blue-collar jobs and you know for concerts and events. About 30 years ago, starts his own event company. They put on big events. And I mean big events. I can't. I promised him I wouldn't tell you where. Big events, events you would know about. In places you would know of. And they focused, because this is how he came up, they focused on working with small business vendors everywhere they go to try to help them out. One of these establishment family companies. Now over 600 employees. And they make all their money from February to March. And he declared bankruptcy yesterday. And that company's gone. And you could tell before he even admitted it to me in the email, which he did, you could tell he was crying as he wrote it. 
a lifetime of work gone. Those small business vendors he uses in all the different places, he told me a lot of them are going to go belly up too because without that big contract he brings to town, that's their business gone. That's one story amongst millions. Three million homeowners aren't even paying their mortgages right now. 40% of Americans have an immediate family member employment gone. Oh, did I mention the debt we're piling up? is like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And half the Republicans are cheering. They're cheering it. They're acting like they accomplished something. We passed a $2 trillion bill. $2 trillion? That number is so big. Honestly, it reminds me of that Stalin line of one death is a tragedy, a million is a, st- a statistic. $2 trillion is a number so enormous, the human mind cannot comprehend it. We passed it like it was nothing. And the money's already gone. Like that. They passed another $500 billion one yesterday. Wow, that's a small business relief. And they're all celebrating it. Woohoo! People. John Corrin, Republican senator from the great state of Texas, came out and said, well, we don't have time to worry about debts and deficits at a time like this. Um, are you out of your mind? Do you know what happens when that bubble bursts? That is America gone. And you know why we're going through all of this? Because nobody had the balls to blow the dike. Because he stood there, Chiang Kai-shek stood there on that dike with the decision to make. He could kill 500,000 of his own countrymen and in so doing save his nation. Or he could, well, if it, if it costs one life, it's not worth it, and surrender to the Japanese. And we freaking surrender to the Japanese. I can't, I still am, I, my, my jaw hangs open at what we've done. Like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Like we had no other choice. And speaking of Japan, they didn't do it. They didn't lock down. You know why? And this this part, oh man, I'll tell you what. This, this part yesterday when I was reading about it, this part hit me hard. You know why Japan didn't lock down? Because after World War II, with the aid of America, they came up with a constitution, freedoms, civil liberties, you know, kind of what we're supposed to be the leader in. And Japan didn't lock down because they don't have the authority to lock down their own citizens because Japanese citizens take their freedom seriously. What did we do as Americans? Not only did we lock down, not only did the government tell us to lock down, go to your home, shut your business, get on unemployment. We did it. We bent the knee like it was, well, I mean, if the mayor says so, screw him. 
he's not your king. We don't have kings here. I do not acknowledge the authority of a mayor, a governor, a senator, a president to force me to stop working. You don't have that authority. You may have that authority in Germany. You may have that authority in China. You may have that authority in Russia, Iran. I don't care. You do not have the authority in the United States of America to do that. Well, at least you didn't used to. Land of the free, my rear end. We laid down like it was nothing, like a bunch of sissies. Japan, you know, those, those backwards Japanese, they stood up and they were like, ah, you're not, you're not locking us down. You can't take our civil liberties. It's not even an option. Land of the free means freedom from government control. It does not mean hot dogs and fireworks and football Land of the free means freedom from government control. And they destroyed us, and we let them do it. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. I swear we have some light stuff for you at the show. We're going to have fun, but... I can't, I can't believe it. And and let me explain what I mean by when I'm ripping on these bills that they're passing. Because I think this gets lost and people don't understand why the last one didn't work and why I'm telling you this next one won't work. And this is an extremely simplified view of it, but this is the best way I can explain it. I want you to imagine... The entire American economy is McDonald's, something everyone understands, even if you don't eat there. McDonald's. And you have ordered McDonald's close. McDonald's, you're closed. We'll let you know when you can open again, but you're closed. And each and every person with their individual jobs in McDonald's that's a part of the American economy, and they're, they're individuals, right? They all work together, obviously. That's how they churn out their products, but they're still individuals with individual concerns. And you told all the McDonald's, you said, close. And now you're like, wow, man, they're, they're closed. They're not making any money. We better do something about that. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Get some, get some cash together. And we're going to get McDonald's some cash. And everyone's like, yeah, let's get some cash. We'll, get, we'll just give them cash, right? Print out some money. We'll hand it to them. And they print out some money. And they hand most of it to the fry guy. Here, fry guy, we're here to help you out. Here's some more money for more fries. You know what? Go ahead and get yourself a new fry fryer. Take care of yourself. And the burger guy's like, whoa, hey, uh, I gotta make I gotta make burgers over here. You know what? You're right. Hey, give some money to the Big Mac guy. 
All right, the Big Mac guy has some money. All right, we're fine. Uh, hello, Mr. Filet of Fish here. Let's um, I'm bit I'm getting left behind. Is there any money for me? Ooh, eesh, yeah. Sorry, there's not any money for you. I'll tell you what. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna get some more money. Let's get some more money. And we get all right. We got some more money. We got a new five hundred billion dollar bill. This passed the Senate today. Hey, there you go, Filet of Fish guy. You're taken care of. Whew. All right, we're good, right? We are. We took care of the burger guy, filet fish guy, fry guy. We're good to go. Oh, crap. We forgot about the McChicken, dude. Uh, uh-oh. We forgot about the janitor. Shoot, McDonald's is dirty. Oh, we forgot. You know what? Pass another bill. It, it, uh... You cannot. You cannot. Nobody on earth can. The smartest man in the world. Me. <laughs> Quick, Chris. The smartest man in the world could not stop a $20 trillion economy and then print money we don't have and inject that money back into the economy to keep it going in any kind of a smart way. Government's not efficient, even if it was, if it was a private business and the smartest business in the world, you cannot possibly distribute that money to McDonald's in a way that will keep McDonald's running in any form or fashion. And certainly not anything close to the way McDonald's was running when you just let them stay open. You cannot do it. It's not humanly possible. And not only that, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. It's not sexy to talk about right now, but uh, we passed $2 trillion. Now the Senate just passed another $500 billion that Donald Trump's going to sign. That's $2.5 trillion on top of the money we're printing. Oh, did I also mention we're going to have probably record low revenues coming in to the federal government because you've destroyed all the businesses and they're not paying taxes, meaning we are printing and spending more unbacked currency than at any point in the history of the United States of America. With no money coming in. Do you know what happens when the dollar collapses? Do you realize that before any of this, before any of it, that we were in serious, serious long-term financial trouble because of Medicare and Social Security? Don't scream at me. I need that. I paid into it. That, that's all fine. I, I get all that. Numbers don't lie. Those two programs, without massive reform, which there's no, no political advantage to trying to reform them because then old people vote you out of office. Without massive reforms, those two programs alone were going to bankrupt us. That was before we added three, four, five trillion dollars to the debt because of coronavirus. We've got 40-some thousand dead Americans. That matters a lot. That is horrific. The cost of what we've done, it wouldn't be worth 400,000 dead Americans. It's that bad. You know something else you can't put a price on? Something that's not quantifiable. It's not in dollars and cents. It's not a new Senate bill. What about public trust in law enforcement? Doesn't that matter? 
Doesn't it matter a lot? Because a new video came out yesterday. You've heard me touch on this briefly, but this new video came out yesterday and I'll explain in a second. Videos have been everywhere. You've seen them on the news. You've seen them all over social media. And to some extent, I'm not blaming the cops. I'm not. Because a cop has a job to do. And a cop has a family to feed. But let's just be honest. It's why I've always shot down these arguments of, oh, the cops will never enforce these unconstitutional gun laws. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. The military will never enforce it. Uh, yes, they will. I mean, are you going to have some people that stand up for against it? Yeah, of course. But they'll just fire them and replace the next guy. And your loyalty, as it should be, is the same as my loyalty. It's to my family first. I'd happily die for my country. I would. But my family comes first. Screw y'all. My family comes first. And yours should too. That's... You got to watch, look out for your own first. A cop is not going to give up his livelihood because he doesn't think this order is lawful. He's going to enforce it. He is. And when you're giving cops orders to enforce things, you're putting them in danger. I'll explain just a second. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is critical, critical. For the safety of law enforcement and the safety of the citizens, that there be some level of trust between law enforcement and the community. That's a fact of life. It's critical. There's a video from yesterday. I've already talked to you about the videos out of California you've seen about the dude paddleboarding by himself in the ocean and was surrounded by police boats and put in handcuffs. You know about the pastor with an actual warrant issued for his arrest for holding a church service and then got arrested. You know about the father handcuffed in front of his daughter for the crime of playing softball with her in an outdoor public park. And yesterday, a suburban mom in Idaho. Idaho. We're not talking about New York City. We're not talking about San Francisco. Idaho took her kids to a public play area 
and was placed in handcuffs in front of them and hauled away by two police officers. There's a video all over the internet. We will actually get that video for you, and I will put it up on the Jesse Kelly Show Twitter feed. That Twitter feed is at Jesse Kelly Show. Remember, I have my own personal one that's at Jesse Kelly DC, but Jesse Kelly Show, that's a Twitter feed you need to follow because we put little mini clips up of the show. We put up anything visual you need to see. It's right there at Jesse Kelly Show on the Twitter feed. This is dangerous for law enforcement, and it's bad for the United States of America because you have people who are so pro-cop, so respectful of law enforcement, as I always have been and am and remain. They're seeing these videos, and it's turning people off, and it's creating a divide where they, they, they do not view law enforcement like people should view law enforcement as being, you know, the protectors, the sheepdogs out there keeping the bad guys at bay. And that is, for the most part, 99% of the time, that's what they're doing. They're wading through the muck of society and keeping bad guys at bay. These videos are setting back the United States of America. They are. It is that big of a deal. People are watching them, and they're turned off. And they feel like, Police officers, normal, local, everyday cops, people you see in Starbucks, people you send your kids up to to say thank you, now you're sneering at them. Now you're telling them where to shove it or thinking about it. That is bad for the United States of America. It's yet another cost to what we've done that is unquantifiable. And you won't be able to point to this directly but it's going to get somebody hurt, and that sucks. I don't want anybody to get hurt, ever. But I guess that's the human condition, too. Now, allow us to take a brief break, Chris, because I got some conspiracy theories yesterday. I asked people for their coronavirus conspiracy theories, and you can still send me yours or anything else you want to email me. The email address is jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. And I got some, and they're freaking awesome. All right, first of all, let us get to the beginning. Remember, I'm not going to read your name if you email me on these unless you tell me you want your name read, and then I probably will. But uh, other than that, I respect your privacy. It'll stay, well, I mean, stay between us and Chris. Remember, if you email me, Jesse, at Jesse Kelly Show, Chris is the one reading these things before I get to them. <laughs> so don't call, don't, don't email on Badmouth Chris. Actually, you should do that. You should email and be like, Jesse, you're the best, but Chris is such a dirtball. I'd love that. This one, this guy thinks the Illuminati released the virus. (laughs) I love this. Shut up, Chris. It could happen. Now, I'll be honest. When I got this one, he also included the fact he thought aliens could be testing various viruses to rid the world of humans. You never know. You never know. When I got this one, I'll be honest. I have heard the name before. But I was not too familiar on what exactly the Illuminati is. Full disclosure, I haven't, I haven't, de- I haven't delved too deep into the old conspiracy theory world. 
But this is interesting, Chris. Did you know about these Illuminati people controlling the world? I thought it was you. I thought it was you people, Chris. I always, I was always told it was the Jews. Apparently, it's the Illuminati. <laughs> these people, man. I'm telling you what. All right, this is Chris printed this off for me, so don't yell. The Order of the Illuminati was an Enlightenment age secret society founded by University Professor Adam Weishaupt. On the 1st of May, 1776, in Upper Bavaria, Germany. Is that a Jewish name, Chris? Was he a Jew? Is this a Jew? Is this an anti-Semitic thing, this Illuminati thing? Is it really? You don't know? I don't know either. All right, we're going to find out together, Chris. Let's just dive into this insanity world. Why not? What else are we going to do? The movement consisted of advocates of free thought, secularism, liberalism, republicanism, and gender equality. <laughs> you had me until then. Recruited from the Germanic... From the German Masonic lodges who sought to teach rationalism through mystery schools. All right, let me stop you right there. I'm uneducated. Everybody knows this. It's not a secret. For some reason, you listen anyway. I mispronounce words because I have no formal education. Anything you hear me say is something I read in a book, and nobody said it to me, so I don't know how to say any words. That's just that's something I do. Something else that weirds me out is all these isms. Like rationalism. What is that supposed to mean? What is rationalism? Chris, give us a definition on rationalism while I continue to read. In 1785, the order was infiltrated, broken up, and suppressed by the government agents of Charles Theodore, elector of Bavaria. Bavaria, I bet you that's where we got Bavarian cream from, Chris, which is delicious as a quick side note. What are you talking about? No, it's not. What are you talking about? It's not as good as that light, fluffy cream. You don't like Bavarian cream in your mouth? You're crazy. Quit, Chris. In his preemptive campaign to neutralize the threat of secret societies ever becoming hotbeds of conspiracies to overthrow the Bavarian monarchy and state religion. There is no evidence that the Bavarian Illuminati survived its suppression in 1785. Hang on, I have to drink coffee. I was up late. Do you hear that? That come across on radio? Took a big old gulp. In the late 18th century, reactionary conspiracy. This is boring, Chris. Where do we get to the good stuff? During the interwar period, fascist propagandists such as the British revisionist historian Nesta Helen Webster and American socialite Edith Starr Miller not only popularized the myth of an Illuminati. Oh, here we go, Chris. Illuminati conspiracy, but claimed it was a a subversive Secret society, which served the Jewish. I told you, which I told you it was going to be anti-Semitic. Didn't I? I knew you people were in on this, Chris. That served the Jewish elites that supposedly propped up both finance capitalism and Soviet communism in order to divide. No, listen, listen. This must be real, Chris. You found it on the internet. In order to divide and rule the world. This is making way more sense now. <laughs> Shut up, Chris. We're going to read more. American evangelist, Chris, you need to get a hold of your rabbi and find out why you people are controlling the world through the Illuminati. American evangelist Gerald Burton Winrod. What is with all these people in three names? Chris, what's your middle name? James? Oh, that's sweet. My middle name sucks. I never even tell anybody mine. You know what? I need to change it to something like steel and go by what? And go what? You don't like that? Jesse Steele. All right. 
We'll be back for a second. This is Jesse Steele Kelly. Hang on. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. In case you're just now joining us, this is Jesse Steele Kelly. Shut up, Chris. I like it. All right, we'll come up with something new. You don't like Steele? I'm going to have a sweet middle name, Chris, and I'm going to start going by that. Maybe it should be something sophisticated sounding since I, people say I lack sophistication, which I don't know where you people get off. All right, back to our conspiracy theory. Remember, we're, leading, we're learning about the Illuminati together on the air. Of course, as I knew it would be, it was the Jews, Chris. It was you people. <laughs> All right. Uh, remember, you get, you people are both you're propping up finance capitalism and Soviet communism in order to divide the world, Chris. You still have to explain to me why you're doing that. What, what, I don't understand why you're why you're confused why you people would do that. It's you divide and conquer. You you pit them against each other. And the, I don't understand, Chris. It's not my Illuminati. It's your Illuminati. Dig in with you people and find out what it is. All right, with with uh, American evangelist Gerald Burton Winrod and other conspiracy theorists within the fundamentalist Christian movement in the United States, which emerged in the 1910s as a backlash against the principles of enlightenment, secular humanism. That's another thing. I, what is with these isms? I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Secular humanism, modernism, <laughs> again, what? And liberalism. Well, we all know what that is. Ugh. Became the main channel of dissemination of Illuminati conspiracy theories. Okay, so the fundamentalist Christians pushed back against you people, Chris. Subsequently began speculating that some collegiate fraternities, like the Skull and Bones. I've heard of that one. That's real, right? Skull and Bones is a real fraternity? Is it not a real fraternity? I think I saw it in a movie, so it must be real. Gentlemen's clubs, like the Bohemian Club. Wait a minute. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Chris, are you on a company computer? All right. I need you to look up the Bohemian Club and see if that's really a gentleman's club. Please get any parent filters in place just so we don't get in trouble from the powers that be. We're already in enough trouble. We don't need you looking at nudie pics. Is that really a thing? The Bohemian Club? Okay, so the Bohemian Club is the weird thing that people do in the woods. with the, It says here it's a gentleman's club, man. Now, maybe their version of gentleman's club is different than my version of gentleman's club. That's probably where we're going because I have to be honest, that's the part where I was like, huh? That doesn't, that doesn't fit in with anything else at all. I mean, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Chris. After the show, we'll go to one and figure out what's going on. We have to wear our masks. Lord only knows what they're going to wear. And think tanks like the Council on Foreign Relations. I've heard well, that's still, of course, I've heard a lot of Council on Foreign Relations stuff. Trilateral Commission of the American Upper Class are front organizations for the Illuminati. 
which they accuse of plotting to create a new world order through one world government. Now, this is where I'm confused, Chris, because that's the end of our Illuminati thing. If, if, they want the, if they want finance capitalism and Soviet communism both propped up to divide and conquer, then how are they going th- for a one-world government? Aren't those two different things? It doesn't sound like you're dividing and conquering. It sounds like you're going for one thing, not two things. Why are you throwing your hands up? We need your Jewish guidance. This is apparently your movement. We Christians are pushing back, though, Chris. Take that. So that's the Illuminati. We have, uh, we, have, we have chosen to dive into conspiracy theory land today, and it's fantastic. The first hour was dark enough. My goodness, we were talking about Nanking for Pete's sake. We can loosen up here. All right, more conspiracy theories. Mitchell, would you mind warming up my coffee for me? Thank you, Mitchell. You know what? Go ahead and fill that bad boy to the brim again, too. Hopefully I didn't say that on air just now. All right, a new new conspiracy theorist. I'm a doc here in Houston. Love the show. Of course he does. Uh, Oh, this guy says that there are infectious diseases. not a conspiracy theory. He says there are infectious disease experts around the world that think the Black Death. Remember, we talked a lot about the Black Death yesterday, which was sweet. Highly recommend that show. Uh, He says there's a theory that it was not bacterial. He says nothing about the Black Death makes sense at all from a bacterial perspective. That's actually really cool. Doc, if you're listening, I appreciate you, my friend. That's actually really good information. If you missed yesterday's show and you want to hear some Black Death talk, that was yesterday, right, Chris? All the days tend to blend together. If you missed yesterday's show or any of the shows, remember the whole show is podcasted on jessekellyshow.com. The whole show is podcasted on iHeart. Google, Spotify, Apple, so you don't have to worry if you missed a history segment or you missed some random screw-off segment like we're doing right now. It was what, Chris? Why are you doing these hand motions? Just talk. I don't understand. what The 3-2? Oh, the 20th. The, I understood that hand motion, Chris. That was not very polite. Not very polite at all. The 20th was apparently our Black Death show. That's a real sunny one. <laughs> we're keeping things light around here. Shut up, Chris. All right, back to our conspiracy theories. I have another one. Remember, you can email me yours or anything else you want to talk about. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I do not, for the most part, respond back because I have way too many. I'm not trying to stiff you. I'm not trying to be a, you know, one-up you or anything like that. I read every one of them. Chris prints them off for me. I read every single one of them. I just, there are way too many. All right. This one, this person says, believe the vi- they believe the virus was purposely created and weaponized for mass destruction. Now that's not that's not a conspiracy theory. There's look, Wuhan has a freaking a virus lab. They have a virus lab that the State Department warned about two years ago and said, uh, Wuhan has a really dangerous virus lab with really nasty stuff in it, and they have, like, no security whatsoever. What, Chris? Oh, yes, and Obama gave them money. Now, it may be unfair to put it on Obama. It was during Obama's presidency. We wrote him something like 2.7 or 3.7. I forget the number. We wrote them, like, millions of dollars. We funded this place. 
Now, this is what's going to get people going crazy, Chris, is if that virus came from the lab where we funded that then torpedoed us, oh, gosh, the conspiracy people are going to love that. It's going to be sweet. What? I like it. I can like conspiracy theories. I'm trying to believe here, Chris. Shut up. Do you believe in ghosts? You don't believe in ghosts? I ever tell you my ghost story? All right. Allow me to digress for a moment. Now, I should tell you, that's in the interest of full disclosure here, I do not believe in ghosts. All right. But I have put this question out before. Uh, and a lot of people, and I, people I know, people I trust, not just, you know, some wingnut somewhere that's tripping on LSD. People I know and trust have responded and told me, dude, you should believe in ghosts. This happened to me. Now, shut up, Christy. You're discrediting people. When I say these are credible people have told me that, I mean credible people. Like sane people have told me. I experienced this ghost thing. I experienced that ghost thing. If you have a cool ghost story, I want that too. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. So I personally do not believe, but a lot of people do believe. It's not that I don't believe anything's out there. I mean, I believe in angels and demons because I believe in the Bible, the whole Bible, Chris, not just the Old Testament. But beyond that, I really don't. Beyond that, I don't. That makes sense? It's it's just beyond that, I think it's a bunch of crap. But I could be wrong. If I sound unsure of myself, it's because I am unsure because so many people I know swear they're out there. So we decide to take a little trip to Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, crap. We're out of time. And I have a guest. Hang on. I'm going to get to my ghost story. Hang on a second. to get a perspective from other people, Chris. It's not because I actually respect their opinions. I just like other people to have a voice sometimes because I'm such a man of the people. And that's why I'm having on my buddy Sean Parnell, Army, Afghanistan vet, author, and now candidate for Congress in a swing district that can swing back red out of Pennsylvania. Sean, um, it's pretty ugly out here in Texas, brother, especially with oil. How's Pennsylvania doing? Yeah, I mean, oil and gas, as you know, is a major pillar of our economy, you know, and mm-hmm. and the the plunging oil prices. I mean, we're very concerned, I mean, with, with the job loss here. And with job loss comes a, a, an adverse impact on people's lives and livelihoods. I mean, there are 100,000 people uh, that work. And, and are supported by the oil and gas industry here in, in Western Pennsylvania. And so, yeah, we're really concerned concerned about it, and, and we want to see the oil prices start to rise again so that they can be be profitable and, and continue in, in America, continue, continue to be energy independent. Sean, what kind of word have you gotten from, because I know you're always out and about, or at least as much as you can be, probably not as much anymore, locked in our freaking houses like prisoners. How much feedback are you getting from not just big companies? It's not that I have anything against big companies. Big companies employ a lot of people. But from family businesses, from small businesses, restaurants and such in your district, what are you hearing from them? Are they they still hanging on? Are they finished? Where are they at? 
No, look, it's a great question. People are really struggling. I mean, they, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of a small business or, or just constituents here in PA 17 who have reached out to my opponent and they get form letters in response with no follow-up, which to me is just, it's just tragic, but we do everything that we can to help them, even though I'm not elected yet. And people are really struggling. And Jesse, look, I think, you know, you're seeing, seeing these protests all over the country, but you've seen a couple in Pitt, one in Pittsburgh and one in Harrisburg here in PA. It's important to understand why people are protesting. The government told them that they had to stay home. We complied. The government told them that they had to shutter their small businesses and risk their lives and livelihoods, and people complied. And now we've got a lot of these governors that have just taken things a step too far and in doing so completely undermined the, this whole stay-at-home order. You've got, you got governors citing people for drive-in church services but not, but not for drive-through fast food, telling people you can't fish alone in the middle of a lake. It makes no sense. Mm. Following people around with drones who are exercising by themselves, and you're telling people that they can't get hip replacements, which is an elective uh, procedure, but you can get an abortion. You can shop for garden supplies at Lowe's and Home Depot, but not mom and pop garden, garden centers. It makes no sense. People have just a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance, and I think they're very, uh, they're very concerned with some of the authoritarian creeps they're seeing uh, and, and these power grabs by the governors, and, and they should be. Sean, I am worried about cops. Um, uh, obviously, I understand how pro-law enforcement you are. You know how pro-law enforcement I am. And now we have these cops who've been given orders. And they're obeying for the most part. And I think it's looking really bad on the law enforcement community. And I think it's going to – I'm worried it's going to seriously negatively affect the law enforcement community's relationship with the citizens they serve. Uh, we have moms getting arrested for having their kids in the playground. We have paddleboarders arrested for paddleboarding by themselves in the ocean. We had a father put in handcuffs playing softball with his daughter in a public park. And whether these orders are just, you know, whether they're just following orders or not, I'm worried about what that means for America's future when it comes to law enforcement. Should I be? You know, Jesse, it breaks my heart to see those videos. I saw the video of the mom being arrested on the playground, and that should not happen in America. And, you know, I think, I think this speaks to the fact that everybody takes this virus seriously. Everybody does. And we have to, and we should. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should sacrifice our constitutional liberties or the things that make this country truly exceptional, and that's freedom. And so, uh, this what bothers me about a lot of these arrests is obviously more than just the arrests. I think they're wrong, but th that is this is governors, right? These are governors in these states that are issuing orders that are putting our police in very precarious positions. Like like in Delaware, they're, they're pulling over people with out of state tags. Since when is it our responsibility as citizens to prove? Our innocence should we get should we get pulled over? And how is pulling over somebody uh, with an out of state tag okay? It's not, but it's the governors that are putting forth these orders that are putting police officers not just at risk of unnecessary exposure to the virus, but uh, put them in tough spots to where they have to enforce laws that aren't entirely constitutional. John, where do we go from here? We can rehash all day long what we did. 
I'm not even look, man. I, you can say I'm just a Debbie Downer on it. I'm not extremely thrilled about even the governors who are opening things up in the way they are. Just for the simple fact, I'm uncomfortable with the governor or mayor saying, "Okay, I've decided now that this business is essential." Oh, your business isn't, but you are. These three are, and you're not essential. I, when did we get comfortable with language like that in the United States of America? This is that's that's not America. Yeah, it's not. And, I, you know, I saw your tweet about since when did people get OK with politicians telling you that you can and can't work. And what what concern what concerns me about this, Jesse, is that the people that are, are sort of the, putting forth the, the proposals that lock down in perpetuity, it's those people still have paychecks. And the people that are protesting, the people that want to lift the lockdown are not saying that we shouldn't take the virus seriously. Americans, for the most part, can be trusted with their freedom. We know that we have to take it seriously, but the people that are protesting can't put food on the table for their families. And a one-time payment from the federal government, 1200 bucks, you know, for, it, that'd be tough to live on for an individual. If you've got a family of four, 1200 bucks. A one-time payment of 1200 bucks, it ain't going to cut it, man. It's not. And so people are worried uh, that, that they're going to lose everything. I mean, there's a, there's a business here in western Pennsylvania, a, a person who owns a furniture uh, business, 20,000 square foot. He's got five employees. He invested his entire life savings in it. He's at risk of losing it because he can't oh. afford the $8,000 a month rent. That's tragic, and it's our job as leaders to make sure that we strike a balance with a surgical pandemic response while allowing people to reopen Right. While allowing people to reopen and ultimately trusting people with their freedom. Speaking of surgical and, well, a surgical response, we have Iran now driving their little Marlin fishing boats up to our Navy vessels and trying to flex a little muscle on us. And I realize Iran is hurting right now and they're just doing what they do. Sean, I'm not anxious to go to war with anybody. I'm a bit of a non-interventionist in my bit in my old age now. But tell me why exactly we shouldn't have smoked those boats out of the water. Well, look, I, this is you're, you're raising a really important point. Iran has been killing people, Americans, in the shadows, from the shadows, since 1970. And we've done nothing but take it on the chin every year since then. So I, I'm a big proponent of, of peace through strength. I've seen the depravity of our enemy up close. And one of the things and commitments that we made in combat is that we're not going to break from any fight. And so the enemy learned very quickly that when they saw our emblem, the green skull painted on the side of our Humvee, to avoid us. Why? Because we were a, we were a strong target. And the same is true for our, the relationship between Iran and, and America. Peace through strength is the surest and fastest way to peace. And so I don't. Well, I, I mean, nobody wants to go to war, right? And, I mean, there's nobody you know, more than me or you who's seen the up-close up and personal cost of it. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be strong in the face of our enemies who have done nothing but provoke us for the past 45 years, and we've done nothing. So it's, it's, it's past time for us to start taking a stronger stance with Iran. Yeah, and if they were scared of the Army, that just shows how weak they really are. <laughs> right. Sean Parnell, where can people find your website, brother? Please go to SeanForCongress.co and help me adopt my district. We can flip this one, and it's an important one. SeanForCongress.co. People, you want Nancy Pelosi gone? That's how you get Nancy Pelosi gone. Remove her from the speaker's chair. Sean, I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, Jesse. Take care. Be good. So, my ghost story, Chris. This may creep you out. Do we have any creepy music?
I want creepy music. Crap. You know what? I'll do my own creepy music. Doo -doo 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 -doo. That'll make that'll make for great radio, Chris. Hang on one second. <laughs> South Carolina. First of all, before I go into it, allow me to just say you need to go to Charleston. If you have not spent any time in Charleston, South Carolina, you need to start spending time in Charleston, South Carolina. I've been there for, what, three times I think now? And it is just the coolest little town. One, it's... It's got an English background. It was colonized by the English instead of the French. New Orleans is French. All that Cajun French stuff. South Carolina was English. And there was a little bit of a slave trade out of there, if we're being honest. But the, now that we've moved past that, it's old. It is really old. And there are parts of it that are extremely old, way older than the United States of America, if you know what I mean. It's just a very, very cool place. It is, and you know I'm an eating freak. I'm a slave to my stomach. It's one of the best eating cities I've ever had, I've been, ever been to in my life. It's consistently ranked either above or right below New Orleans for eating. You need to go eat your way through South Carolina. What, or through Charleston. Whatever weirdo diet you're on, leave that at home when you visit Charleston. Also, they have a big aircraft carrier there. Chris, look up the name of that aircraft carrier in Charleston. It's a World War II-era aircraft carrier. You have to do it. You have to see it. You think you know how big they are? You have no idea. And not only do they have a World War II aircraft carrier there, they have a bunch of different eras of fighter jets up on top of, you know, the platform where you see the jets take off and land, so you can go check those out. You can sit in the big anti-aircraft gun they had on top of the aircraft carrier. And this is maybe the coolest part, although this was a little bit difficult for me, given my larger size, you would say, at six foot eight. They let you go into the guts of the thing. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm surprised nobody's ever gotten lost so long they've died in there. It is vast. More levels than you can possibly imagine. Up and down. And you can see, and they have little setups for them. Like, you can see things you don't think about. You can see where a guy got his dental work done. Like the dentist's office of the ship. And they have a little mannequin there. You can see the kitchen setup is fascinating. And they have these... Or at least they had them at the time. I'm sure they still probably do. Chris, what's the name of that thing? The Yorktown. Yes, the USS Yorktown. That's right. It's called the USS Yorktown. Trust me, you can't miss it. And, like, you can go to the kitchen area, and they have these gigantic, like they're like 50-pound bags of chocolate chip cookies. 
and they have a little plaque there that helps you understand things. And they'll say, you know, there were this many sailors on the ship, and I don't remember what the number was, 2,000, something like that. And if you want, if you wanted to serve a, a chocolate chip cookie to every sailor at dinner time, it would take this many bags of cookies for one meal. Like, you just you, you, you start to wrap your mind around just how vast these gigantic war vessels are. And if you're, if you're kind of morbid like me, when you go down into the depths of it, you start to have a better idea what it would be like, how hopeless it would be to be on one that was sinking. You know, because we all, always have this, we tend to have this, this point of view that, you know, a boat's going down, I'll just, you know, go up the stairs and swim out of it type thing. It's not that way. It's a vertical maze. And if it was dark, you know, because they lose power all the time and tilting and wet and screaming and crying and anarchy and noise, it, you're never getting out. It makes Once you get inside of it, you understand why there are still people inside of our ships at Pearl Harbor. When you're in the depths of one of those things, you are never coming out if that thing is going down. And it is, it's a little intimidating, and it makes you respect the sacrifice even more of the guys who did go down in that way. They, it makes me think of, they have a submarine there too, a World War II era submarine. Now, I don't have a ton of phobias. And I know what you're saying, Jesse, that's because you're superhuman. And yeah, that's pretty much right. That's why I'm Jesse Steele Kelly, Chris. But I'm not thrilled with tiny spaces. Now, when I say not thrilled, I, I genuinely mean that. I'm not petrified of them. I don't worry about things, you know, over my face. Like a lot of people can't handle scuba diving. I do fine with that. That's It's fine. But if I'm in an area where it's super cramped and it's my shoulders are touching both walls, uh, I'm not I'm not thrilled to be there. I'm not thrilled at all to be there. And you can go down into this World War II-era submarine just like you can the aircraft carrier. That was not for me. There were plenty of places in this World War II-era submarine. Now, granted, I have wide shoulders. They're Kelly's shoulders, not to brag or anything like that. I had to turn sideways to walk down the hall. I could not. It was not physically possible to walk down the hall straight. That's, that's a no. That's a no for me. And I was just here, uh, listening to this podcast the other day. Uh, it was called Warriors in Their Own Words. They stopped making it a long time ago, but I highly, highly recommend it. It's totally fascinating. They have all these different experiences of guys who've done crazy things. Vietnam, World War II. Oh, shoot. Hang on. I'll be right back. This Warriors in Their Own Words podcast. I'm going to get to my ghost story, Chris. Shut up. I got distracted by other things. I like Charleston. I'm telling people about Charleston. I haven't even gotten to the restaurants yet. (laughs) All right. Whatever. This Warriors in Their Own Words podcast. And they have things like a a Green Beret in Vietnam. uh, Guy who landed on the beaches in D-Day. It is really, really cool and really well done. It sucks they stopped doing it. 
And one of the ones totally unique that they have on there is a German U-boat sub guy. A guy that was on German U-boats. And he's fascinating. He has, obviously has a German accent, but you can understand him completely clearly. And he talks about submarines. And he said, look, it's very different. It's very different on a submarine and that you understood. You just It was part of a, a fact of life. It's not like a surface ship. If a submarine gets hit, if you go down and you get hit, nobody gets out. That's just a fact. If your ship goes down, they drop a depth charge on you, and it, and it blows, you're all dead. That's, that's a fact of life. And he said it was just something you tried to joke your way through when they had American destroyers above them dropping depth charges on them. Oh, it was so cool. Hold on. I'll finish in a second. Hold on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I'm getting to the ghost story, Chris. I'm, you have to learn to be patient. Sometimes I get distracted on things. Anyway, this German submarine dude is talking about how horrifying it is. And just picture this. I learned some stuff, and now I'm about to educate all of you. You know, they go above the, the destroyers were the ones, at least in World War II. I'm not a submariner, so I don't know how they do it now. I'm sure it's much different. But in World War II, it was destroyers. That's a type of ship that focused on the submarines. And they would go out, what they would do is they would try to go out two at a time after the submarines. Because if you, if you send one destroyer out, the sub's probably going to kill it. But they would send two out. And the subs back then, when they went under the water, they would run on basically battery power. And they couldn't, they couldn't move very fast. I think he said they were like three or four times slower under the water. Now... The destroyers, they would send them out two at a time because one would be driving around, floating around looking for the sub that's under the water. The other would stop because you can only hear under the water when you're stopped. And the sub would try to dive as deep as they possibly could. And I forget what he said it was. It was something like four or 500 feet down or something. Something really far. I, I remember what he, it may have been meters, <laughs> which would make it like triple what I just said. Shut up. I'm not promising accuracy right now. He said it's way down, way down. Uh, and the destroyer would think it found the sub, and sometimes it would, and they would start dropping these depth charges. It's just a gigantic bomb set to go off at a certain depth. And something I did not realize, because of the water pressure, the depth charge, the explosion always blows upwards towards the surface. Did not know this. So if you're in a submarine and they drop a depth charge, I mean, right over you and it blows up, you're fine. He said, don't get me wrong, it was scary, really scary, but you're totally fine. Even right beside you would be fine. 
If it's under you, you're dead. If it's under you, the explosion blows up into the sub and essentially breaks the back of the sub. And now the sub itself will collapse and fill with water because of the water pressure. Can you even imagine dying like that (laughs) in the dark 500 feet below the surface as the sub sinks into the water and collapses around you? I don't think it collapses instantly, Chris. I think the sub's strong enough that, I mean, gosh, you'd probably want it to. You know what? Go ahead and squish me like a bug right away. Don't let me sink down to the depths and slowly drown. Or have to fight off an octopus or something like that. Well, I bet that happened. Whatever. Anyway, it's really scary. Screw him. He was a German. I wish we got him all. No, he was a really cool dude. Highly, highly recommend the podcast, Warriors in Their Own Words. You will find it. You will learn things. You will find it very, very fascinating. Snipers in Vietnam. It's just awesome. Uh, Korea, Air Force pilots, all kinds of stuff. Back to my Charleston thing. Charleston is also, because it's so old, they say it's haunted. They say it's extremely, extremely haunted. Now, obviously, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't. But I want to see one. I really want to see one. I, I Look, I want to see one, Chris. I want to experience it. And if you want to experience if ghost hunting If that type of thing is your thing, go to Charleston. I guarantee all those weirdo shows, ghost hunters and stuff like that, I guarantee that they've been to Charleston, South Carolina. I would bet money on it. I would bet money on it. Now, we go looking for one. And part of the reason Charleston's awesome is they're really, really awesome, you know, if you're with your bride. They're, they're made for people to have, like, that southern charm thing. You can visit these old plantation homes, and you can take, you can take and it's a little dark, don't get me wrong, but you can take, like, a, like, you can find out how the slave trade went down there, and it was just horrific. I mean, human cattle, they treated these poor people like it was terrible. And part of the ways they treated people terrible, this wasn't just slaves, this was everybody, was the jail scene. It's hot. It is, what do they call it? I think they call it low, yeah, low country is what they call it because it is quite literally parts of it below sea level. And so it is soupy and swampy there. And keep in mind, we're talking 15, 1600s here, 1700s. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but air conditioning had not been invented yet. And I don't know if you know this as well. They don't put the jails in the nice breezy, shady part of town. They put the jails in the bad part of town because nobody wants to be around the jails. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. So they take you down to this jail. And you can ride, by, by the way, back to the romantic thing. They, they, it's, they're really cool. It's these horses and they have these buggy kind of things behind them. Or you can ride in a big group and you just cruise along and they give you a tour of South Carolina on your haunted jail tour. It's part of like a tour. Th- what, Chris? I didn't realize it's a little touristy. Shut up. It's kind of cool. And they're showing you, oh, this is where, I mean, this happened to the slaves here. And this guy used to govern the place. And this big battle fought, was fought here. And you finally get down to this jail. Now, the main haunted jail in Charleston, allow me to warn you th- of this. Before you think about just diving right in, just know that there are some bad parts of town still in Charleston. North Charleston is really, really rough. But in Charleston itself, I mean, like any like any decent-sized city, 
Let's get some bad parts of town. The haunted jail, of course, is in the bad part of town. It is adjacent to a housing project. And I mean the housing project's housing project. You roll in, and it's clothes on the line, and curlers in the hair, and everything you can possibly imagine. And you're thinking to yourself, I am glad I did not drive here because my car would not be here when I got out. So just know that I did not in any way feel unsafe, but understand that the haunted jail is not up in where all the rich people live. The haunted jail is in the very bad part of town. We get to the haunted jail, and we all gather around because it's a group haunted jail tour. And these guys come out. And they're, again, I cannot stress this enough. I have a hard time taking this seriously, but I'm not trying to ruin the experience for anyone else. I'm not, Chris. I'm I'd Shut up. I'm not. The wife and I would, would share a couple little snickers, you know, to ourselves, but I don't want to ruin someone else's experience. I'm not that person. I'm having a hard time taking this seriously, but I keep it to myself, and I want to see something. Plus, I just think it's going to be really, really cool to see an old, old jail and see how people see how people were in prison back then. They gather everybody around outside, and they start giving you, they start trying to prep you. These guys are not amateurs. They want you to get freaked out at some point in time, so they're prepping you on the outside of, uh, I just want to, if at any time you feel unsafe in there, and you may feel something, and I, I will warn you, I never used to believe until I started working here, and then I've had all these out-of-body experiences. And, you know, sometimes, shut up, Chris. I know, that's not, I was doing the exact same thing Chris is doing right now, which is rolling his eyes, only I was doing it on the inside because I did not want to ruin anybody's jail experience. I did. I didn't. And I look, and, and they point up to this window because it's, it's it's not a huge building. It's not like some sprawling jail complex. It just looks like an old like, three-story house. And they point up to the third floor, and they say, oh, you see this window up there? This lady, I think it was a lady, she died here, was executed here on the gallows. And oftentimes, before we even go in, people will look up, and you can see her ghost in the window. I've seen it several times. So, of course, we all look up, and there's nothing there. And I'm, again, you can say you can say online, Chris. I'm not. I wanted to see this broad in the window. I did. I wanted to see her bad. I wanted. To, I wanted to. I want the experience, man. I want the full ghost experience. But nothing. And like, okay, well, let's go inside. And inside we went. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. We go into the jail, and they want to start you out on the top floor. So you go up to the third floor, and... Look, it's a really cool jail. I would do, I'm not poo-pooing the haunted jail tour. Trust me, I'm not. I would do it. It's cool just for the history portion. But they show us like where they kept them in this you know, 15 by 15 jail cell, just like what you'd see. And one thing I didn't know, Chris, 
really kind of awful to think about and creepy. They just threw them all in the cell, men and women, and, like, would leave them there. They left them there of of various – accused of various offenses. And that went exactly how you'd expect that would go. I, I mean, it's the worst horror you could possibly imagine, right? Especially for a woman. Especially for anybody less than the alpha male on there. That would not go well. So they, they left it. Now, you go down to the second floor, and they're – they're showing you some other things. This is where this guy, we used to string this guy up here. And then then they get ready. Finally, you're going down into the basement. And they tell you, this is really dark down in the basement. And and this is this this can get really, really frightening. So, and they, they're getting you all prepped up for this thing. And I'm really wanting to believe, because somebody had already said they felt something. And it's, I thought I saw something at the end of the hall. And I'm like, where? I don't see anything. And then the wife's smacking me. Shut up. And I'm like, what? I was trying to see. So we go down into the basement, and they quite clearly have made it even darker. There were some windows there that mysteriously all of a sudden had fairly new-looking boards on them. So it's way darker than it should be. They lead you through this basement, and this part actually was really, really cool. They had a couple solitary confinement cells down there, and ooh, ooh, not, not something you would want to be in, I will tell you that much. Not something you want to be in. They lead you down to the end of the hall, and this is the final room of the tour. And they go through, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, but they go through this whole story about these people who were killed, and, and this is the room where you, the, the, our most haunted room, and and I'm good. right now, we are going to close the door. And when we do, we're going to be in total darkness. And, and just be careful in here and all these other things. And the wife keeps smacking me because I can't stop smiling now. And I'm not trying to be I'm – I'm honestly not trying to be a jerk. I know you think I was trying to be a jerk. I wasn't. I wasn't making fun of anybody. But, of course, we had the two hysterical women. It was actually a mother and daughter. And they were both of them equally hysterical. They were freaked out before we got in the building. Before we got in the building, they were freaked out. So you knew they were going to be the ones who, quote, saw something. You knew it. And so he goes over. He preps this, all this prep work. And he closes the door. And it's just, it, it is pitch black. And I mean pitch black. There's no light coming in whatsoever. And you hear, no. 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 <laughs> and he flips on the light. And, of course, it's the daughter. Yeah, oh, oh, yes, there was a light there. Flips on the light. Of course, it was the daughter. Flips out. They have to escort her out of the building. They have to take her off the, the off of the tour and take her outside of the building. <laughs> and now I can't hold it in. Now I'm absolutely belly laughing. I can't hold it in any longer. I wanted to see something. And the girl says that, that she was approached by the ghost lady, of course, who died there. And the lady came at her. And no, not even just approached, Chris. <clears throat> the lady pushed her. And the <laughs> I got cheated. I wanted to be pushed. I was dying to be pushed. I didn't get pushed. That's my haunted ghost story. Uh, long story short, go to South Carolina, eat all the food, 
do all the haunted jail tours, take the slavery tours, go take the plantation tour. I, we went to Fort Sumter while we were there, too. Uh, for those of you uninitiated, my goodness, if you listen to this show, I hope you know what Fort Sumter is. That was the kickoff of the Civil War. It was cool to step foot in Fort Sumter. It was a little disappointing. In the same way that Mount Rushmore is disappointing, like you, you see all these pictures of Mount Rushmore and you think, wow, it's a mountain. And you go there and it's, it's kind of a big boulder. Not really a big mountain. I, and I was a child. You know, all that childlike wonderment. This is before Google and all that stuff. And I was a child. And we saw it and I was like, that sucks. That's what we came all this way for. That sucks. Um, Fort Sumter, I didn't realize pretty much nobody died. Did you know that? I didn't realize that until we went there and they were taking us through the tour. Pretty much nobody died. And it's cool. Look, I would go. I'm not telling you to avoid Fort Sumter. But... Lower your expectations, and you will enjoy your experience a little bit more. That's all I'm going to say. Lower the expectations a touch. Does that make sense, Mitchell? That's it. Oh, all right. Sorry. I got distracted. Back to my conspiracy theory stuff. I further believe that someone on the left, the Democratic side of things, had a hand in purposely releasing the virus. And she actually goes into the Obama-fueled thing. All right, now, there's going to be a lot of this. There's going to be a lot of accusations about this being the left, especially from people on the right, people like us. And, and here's why. One, we instinctively dislike the left anyway. That's one. Two, let's be honest, they've been absolutely awful. They make it look like they're enjoying this. The first disastrous $2 trillion bill passed, all that crap they put in it, they got in trouble for, uh, just nakedly, just threw all that stuff in there. That looks so bad. $25 million for congressional raises, even though it wasn't, it actually, it wasn't supposed to go to congressmen. It was their staffers. But do you know how bad that looks when people are dying and jobless? That looks terrible. And then you have the press conferences every single day where it's, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Making the whole thing look terribly political. The left looks terrible throughout this process, and they're making themselves look so bad. And the coronavirus is not the left's fault. I'm happy to crap on the left all day long. I do it for a living. And it's not their fault, but you are way opening up the door to be accused of it being your fault when you conduct yourself this way. You just are. When you conduct yourself this way, people are going to start accusing you of things. People are going to start accusing you of purposely tanking the economy. These these horrible lockdowns, the most strict lockdowns, I mean, that idiot governor in Michigan that won't even let people buy gardening seeds, they're Democrats. The worst lockdowns of the Democrats. And people are getting suspicious as the jobless numbers climb and the deficit climbs. And they understand, rightfully so, that Donald Trump is a lot more vulnerable with a bad economy than a good one. And they see Democrat governors purposely slaughtering their own economies. That kind of conspiracy theory is going to gain a lot of footing. 
It is. No, I, I look, I, it's not a conspiracy theory. I firmly believe the left has seized on this to get so many of the things they've always wanted. And I believe you're not, you're never going to convince me otherwise that on some level, the left believes, why would I hurry my economy back when it's going to screw Trump in November? Why would I open up Virginia again? If I'm Ralph Northam, I'm a one-term governor because they can't run for re-election in Virginia. What's, what's my rush to open up my economy again? All I'm doing is screwing Trump. I'm still going to be governor. They can't revote me out of office. We're done here, right? So that kind of talk, that kind of conspiracy theory talk, it's going to gain some ground. It is. All right, we are about to talk to a two-time World Series champion. Very un-PC. Hang on a second. not every day you get a two-time World Series champ on the freaking show, Chris. Aubrey Huff, you can catch his podcast, Aubrey Huff Off the Cuff, or follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter, Aubrey underscore Huff. Aubrey, do you believe in ghosts? We've been telling ghost stories on the show today just because we're screwing (laughs) off all day. Oh, man, I actually do. I've actually seen them. No way. Tell me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I had I had one sit on the end of my bed when I was like nine years old, um, and I and I thought it was my sister screwing with me, and and uh, I started yelling for my grandma to come in, and and as soon as I started yelling, I felt it get up. There was nobody in there, nobody, and I heard the closet door open up and like sneak off into the closet, and I was like, what the hell? And uh, so yeah, I, I, those kind of things happened to me all the time as a kid. Uh, so yeah, I totally believe in it. That's. Awesome. <laughs> That's absolutely awesome. All right. You are outspoken, to put it mildly, in a sports world that used to be more accepting of that than it is now. Did that happen while you were playing? Did that? When did, when did sports shift into this, you can be outspoken about politics as long as it's a leftist point of view type thing? When did that happen? I feel like it happened five minutes ago. All of a sudden, everybody's a leftist or they're shut up. I think it has more to do with social media. And a lot of guys in sports are on social media today. And as you guys know, um, social media outlets are very, very liberal. And so they're going to be censored a lot of what athletes say and want to dictate what they think. And, um, you know, honestly, I would say I see this with people all the time. It shocks them because the NBA and and NFL aren't like this. But uh, hockey guys and, and and Major League Baseball guys, I would say, by and large, at least 80% of us are conservative. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of guys, especially teammates of mine that I played with in San Francisco or currently playing, they can't say nothing. That 2010 team I was with when we won the World Series, <laughs> the, you know, basically 90% of that team was conservative staff, players, everybody, except for the front office, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is that all it is, is social media? Then why do players still 
Why do they still engage on there? Is it just because it's fun? Is it just because it's a social media world? I mean, I have to be for my career. Maybe I should dump the daggone thing. But it just seems like something, if it's that much poison, why not dump it? Well, I think for athletes, they try to steer clear from the political aspect of it because there's no money in it. For athletes, it's all about branding. Um, I remember whenever it first started coming out, social media and, and, and baseball and and I'm thinking all these guys are opening up these Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts. How, how stupid it seemed to me. I'm like, come on, this is just nothing but look at me kind of thing. But in actuality, I think a lot of these guys were ahead of it because they were realizing you can brand yourself on social media. And these guys are making thousands of dollars a post posting things. I mean, you've got athletes that are posting a picture of their shoes and they'll get 25 grand for one post. It's similar to, it's similar to some of these like Instagram model girls that have 5 million followers there are nothing in bikinis and they post something about, you know, uh, girls waxing kit and it gets them 30 grand for a post. So there's a lot of, a lot of money in social media. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I kind of wish now that looking back at it, I wish I would have started getting a little bit more active towards the end of my career on social media, but not politics wise. You've got to steer clear from that because there's too many, you, you got to in social media, when you're branding, you have to cater to everybody, not just half the population. Why did you say not the front office types? When it, is that just a San Francisco thing? Is that pretty prevalent in front office in baseball that they're more on the left and the players are more on the right? I, I would, I would, I wouldn't think so. I think it's more of a San Francisco thing. Um, San Francisco is one of the most liberal cities in the world, obviously, and um, you know it just doesn't make sense to me. It's never made sense to me as an athlete or somebody that's really, really loaded, makes a billionaire CEOs how they would become liberal or how they would want to have those kind of, um, uh, you know, socialist thoughts and agendas. It just doesn't make sense to me when you work your butt off to get to where you are. And then all of a sudden you just want to, <clears throat> to say, okay, let's just, uh, yeah, I believe in socialism. Let's, let's just get half my stuff away or <laughs> most all my stuff away to make it fair. I don't get it. Especially athletes. What is, you know, I would like to see what a LeBron James would think. If since he's so pro liberal, excuse me, uh, he's so pro like Democrat. What what would happen if socialism came to America and um, all of a sudden he's have to donate at least half his salary? He's going out there busting his butt, everything he's ever done in his life growing up, hard work, dedication, and all of a sudden he's got to take care of people that uh, just are lazy at home and don't want to do anything. Were you always just a baseball guy, or were you a multi-sport guy? I'm guessing you pl- probably did more than just baseball. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, Jesse. I was, uh, I was a basketball guy growing up. I loved basketball. Uh, it was my first love. Uh, and then I got into high school, and even in high school, I hit 300 with one home run my senior year at varsity. But I was, you know, I was scoring averaging 30 points a game in basketball. I actually had a Division II uh, scholarship to some Kansas school for basketball and I had no scholarship offers from baseball at all. None. Well, I'm... And so I thought, well, okay, hold on. What am I going to do? I take this scholarship to play basketball at division two school or try and walk on to baseball because I had to, I had to think logically. I'm six foot four, 220 pounds and I'm white and can't jump. I probably won't make basketball. <laughs> right. So I was like, you know what? I know I have a good swing. I know I'm, I know I have what it takes to play baseball. I just got to get stronger. And I went to walk onto a junior college, gained like 30 pounds in an off season, hit a late growth spurt and boom, 
that year I hit 417 with 17 bombs, made all conference in my junior college, and then uh, University of Miami called, and I went to a powerhouse Division One school and made All-American the next two years. And it all happened within my senior year of high school and freshman year of college. And yeah, that had to be a rough time. life being a uh, Division One sports star at the University of Miami. Now, let me ask you something. Obviously, you know a lot about sports. I have always contended, although I've never done it because I am the least athletic person on earth, I have always made the argument that hitting a home run has got to be the best feeling of any feeling in the world in professional sports. One of the ones where as soon as you connect, you know it's gone. That has to feel better than anything else. Maybe a breakaway run in football, maybe as the crowd cheers. That's got to be the best feeling ever, right? Tell me what the feeling is like. Well, I, it, it depends on the situation. I remember the first major league home run I had. It was in uh, it was in the trop in Tropicana Field in front of four thousand people, and as I was rounding the bases, it literally felt like I was walking on air. And and I tell you, the the two thousand ten game four home run I hit uh, off Tommy Hunter in the World Series, that was pretty awesome too. That which won the game for us in uh, two thousand ten. And I got to tell you, when you hit a big time situational home run, walk off home run to win the game. It's better than sex. Or maybe I'm just not doing it right. <laughs> no, I would imagine it probably. Oh, gosh, that's the coolest thing in the world. Aubrey Huff, Aubrey Huff off the cuff. Tell people about the show. I know what it's like, but describe your show for them. Okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's a locker room based kind of loosely, loose talk kind of a podcast. We're going to be talking, you know, the topic of the day. It's, it, it's not necessarily sports. It can be. Um, it could be politics, it could be relationships, whatever's on my mind. It's off the cuff, and it's very, uh, you know, self-deprecating, locker room style talk. There's going to be a lot of, you know, edgier content to it. And uh, we'll have some uh, – my co-host is an uh, ex-radio co-host for Playboy Radio, so he'll have a bunch of Playboy bunnies on. We'll call them di- Diamond Darlings that come on. So we'll have some pretty pretty nice-looking guests coming on it from time to time. and. It's going to be loosely based, and we'll just have a lot of fun and a lot of fan interaction. If you like my show, you'll like his podcast. Aubrey, I appreciate you very much, sir. You got it, Jesse. Have a good one, buddy. Be good, brother. That guy's awesome, man. He's awesome. Uh, let me let me caution you. Obviously, as you can imagine, Aubrey's podcast isn't necessarily for the kids like my show is. <laughs> But it is very much locker room talk. If you miss, you know, that kind of military environment, sports locker room environment, you will enjoy it. It is definitely good for some laughs. All right. We need to finish up our conspiracy theory talk real quick, Chris. And Bill de Blasio, he made a mistake and he paid for it. (laughs) Oh, that's coming up. Hang on. Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. People are so freaking hilarious. (laughs) So, so obviously, I've been disappointed with. How many Americans have laid down for this government takeover, right? I've, I've been very vocal about that. I've been disappointed with how many Americans have 
jumped on board with this snitch on everybody mentality we apparently have now. Bunch of tattletales getting on your Facebook page, putting up pictures of teenagers playing hoops. Been disappointed with all that. But let us not forget. Only about a third of the country fought the American Revolution. Did you know that? A third of the country wanted to stay loyal to the king. Another third of the country didn't care either way. The American Revolution was fought by the by a third of Americans. You have an America because of a third of Americans. And you have an America because of the kind of people who text inappropriate pictures to Bill de Blasio's social distancing telephone line. <laughs> you see, Bill de Blasio made a critical error when he, well, he chose to not fully grasp what the American people were capable of and what they thought of his orders. So he puts out a post. I believe he did this on Twitter. It might have been Facebook. He puts out a post giving out a phone number that people can text. And there's a video of this. He gives out a phone number people can text if they see anyone not social distancing enough. Or if they see a business not obeying his social distancing rules. <laughs> and so the headline, as you may imagine... Went exactly the way you thought it was going to go. Here's the headline. (laughs) De Blasio's social distancing tip line is flooded with penis photos and Hitler memes. (laughs) I love this country, man. Apparently they had to flat out shut down the tip line because people from across the country... People from across the country were texting inappropriate pictures to it. (laughs) That is the kind of rebellious American spirit that gives me hope, Chris. That's the kind of spirit that gives me hope. People aren't just going to lay it out and take that crap. And I love it. The best part of that for me is picturing the scene. You know, you're Bill de Blasio. And he is the scummiest of scumbag leftists. He has a long history of, I mean, the dude is a radical, radical leftist. Was from his youth. You can look up Bill de Blasio. The guy is, he's not some mainstream Democrat. He's not some blue dog, believe me. He's this total nutter. (laughs) And so he, of course, loves all these tyrannical things. He loves them. It's great for him. He's living high on the hog. He's going on TV every day, ripping on Trump. Passing these rules, making people do this, making people do that, taking no accountability whatsoever for New York's situation. And by the way, I should know, I should note, it's not his fault. I actually don't blame him. Nobody, no city, state, country is ready for a pandemic of a virus we've never seen before. It's just not, just not realistic. It's why I don't do this thing everybody's seeing. Well, why didn't you have more ventilators stocked up? Oh, shut up, idiot. You didn't know you needed them either. Nobody knew that. And let me get, let me give you another little clue. At some point, whether it be five years, 10 years, 100 years from now, there's going to be another global pandemic. How do I know that? Because there's always been global pandemics. 
And there's always going to be global pandemics. And you know what? Countries aren't going to be ready for that one either. So I actually don't blame him for not having it. But I digress. I, I picture him sitting down. He's issued all these rules. And what's he getting? He's, he's seeing all these videos. Oh, people are out in the parks. And, oh, man, those guys tried to open their business and all these other things. And I picture him saying to himself, you know what? All we need, we just have to put it out there and let citizens report on other citizens. And because he's a little leftist tyrant, he would not see the, uh, the history of that kind of policy. He would not see that, wow, that sounds, that sounds an awful lot like Stalin. He would just think that's, well, that's, of course, that's what you're going to do. We need citizens to report on their fellow citizens, report anybody who violates my rules. I've issued these rules and citizens must. <laughs> and so, so he says, well, we'll just put out this video. We'll come up with a tip line. And they open up a tip line, and I'm sure, I'm sure he did not realize what was going to happen. And he puts out this tip line, and this is the best part. I picture the person coming in, because obviously he's not the one getting all those pictures. I picture the person coming in and having to tell him what's happened with the tip line. And that scene has had me laughing for three days now. Uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, you remember that that tip line we put out? Oh, yeah, yeah. How's that going? Are we getting a bunch of tips? Well, we are getting tips, just not necessarily those kind of tips. Um, well, I don't understand what you mean. Maybe I should show you myself, Mr. Mayor. Our tip line, it looks like a bowl full of earthworms. Hang on a second. missed it are really 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 going to enjoy today's history segment and then you're going to enjoy how the show just absolutely devolved into conspiracy theories <laughs> ghost stories talking about aircraft carriers i have all these political headlines sitting in front of me and i didn't get to anything chris <laughs> i got upset only once look my job's not to stress you out not changing the world here. I'm trying to make your day a little better. If you missed any of the show, it's all available on iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. If you have anything to say to me, including your conspiracy theories or ghost stories, you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Take heart. We're going to keep laughing. I don't care if the whole world burns. We're going to laugh as she goes down, all right? That's all.
listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans. Heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country. Heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes. Our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to its programs. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chalk, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chalk for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time tired of restless nights at lisa we know good sleep is essential for mental physical and emotional health from memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Jesse.